for those people who believe in, in jinxing other players, people, and whatever it may be, Thursday morning, when I was on my go on getting on the golf cart to get to this putting green 10 minutes before my tea time, I saw a text from a good friend of mine, and I'm going to name him because he is a Super Bowl winning champion, Zach Ertz. Um, he he said the text. I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase here, but he said that first green looking like a walk in the park or something like that right now. Ten minutes before I four putted the start of the tournament. <laughs> So, thank you, Zach. <laughs> Don't ever do that again, please. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another fire drill. The Masters just ended seconds ago. Michael Bamberger and I are in the Augusta National Press Building. Jeff Ogilvie. Guys, what a day. I mean, people flying up and down the leaderboard, but in the end, it was all about John Rahm's just relentless excellence. Uh, what a champ. What a performance. Jeff, what did you see that um, particularly impressed you out of Rahm today? I don't know. I mean, that back nine he played was pretty flawless. I mean, that was a Jack Nicholas Tiger Woods level back nine on a major. Um, buried the par fives. Every putty hit, he had tap-ins for par most of the time. Um, it was just class. He just looked, as soon as sort of Brooks looked a bit shaky there at the end of the front nine, he just looked like he got his second win. It's like, right, we're on here. Let's go. I'm going to win the Masters. Catch me, you know. Um, it was incredible. I mean, Phil's finish was pretty amazing and it got a bit scary there for a minute because... I mean, those two guys were so far in front. To imagine that that sort of thing would have happened, you wouldn't have ever imagined it. But no, it was fun to watch. And Ram looked every bit the best player in the world today. Jeff, how does a guy, Jeff, how does a guy do that? How, um, really, you know, they played 30 holes together. They were with each other the, the entire day. Uh, really, neither played a great third round. Of course, very trying conditions for the first six holes. But how do you think Ram was sort of able to turn it around and go from what he did early on Saturday, early on Sunday to what he did late on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've never done that, so I'm not sure, but um, I mean, look, clearly he's been pretty, he's been playing really well for a lot of months here. I mean, I'm, he hasn't had played very well for the last month, but it's never that far away. If you're playing the level he was, it's not like it disappears very much. Um, and sometimes it takes, maybe the last sort of 18 holes of the Masters to see that, um, hey, look, I can win this too. I mean, Brooks is maybe the most intimidating golfer out there and he looked intimidating and he probably looked really hard to beat playing with him for the first little bit. But as soon as Brooks looks a little bit vulnerable, all of a sudden he's like, hang on a minute, I'm John Rahm. Like, what do you mean? He's look at, he's scared of me, you know? Um, it doesn't take very much sometimes, especially if your game's really good. One swing, oh, that felt, oh, I remember that. That's what it was. That's that's what I was doing and let's go, you know. So, um, I don't know, just the best player in the world finds a way, you know. I mean, we've seen it with all the best players in the world. When they're struggling a little bit, they find a way to turn it around. I, I like what you said about the Nicholas Woods bit. It, it wasn't spectacular. It was workmanlike. He just did what he had to do. He, if he never really felt like he was out of position and he put a lot of pressure on Brooks. And, you know, as good as Brooks played the, the first two rounds, 
he hasn't been in this situation in a long time. He has a new knee. He's been through a lot of strife. Like it just, as you said, Jeff, it just looked like Brooks uh, didn't quite have the the, the belief that um, that you need in that, in that crucible. So all credit to Rom and. You know, he has been a prolific winner around the world for years now, but only um, it was it felt like he needed to add another major if he was going to put a stranglehold on on number one. And it's been this ongoing debate. Is it is it Scheffler? Is it Rom? Is it is it Cam Smith? Um, you know, but I, I think this definitely solidifies Rom standing as the best player in the world. Subject to change. We still have a lot of golf this season in front of us, but uh, this was a statement at exactly the right moment, I think. Do do you can you imagine that on some level for both Jeff and Alan that they're thinking at all about PGA Tour versus Live Tour, or do you think the Masters is so big that maybe they could just put that aside for a day? I don't think Brooks is thinking about that at all, um, or Ram. I mean, I think Phil maybe. I mean, he looked incredibly satisfied when he held that putt on the last. Um, like it was a little bit of a like, there you go, I'll show you guys, you know what I mean? Well, I did the right thing, you know, um, which is fair enough because it's kind of the consolation prize. I mean, because he probably knew he realistically he wasn't going to win, but I mean, what a round to play. And he did the last two holes, got on top of Jordan, who was playing an unbelievable round. Um, I don't think many of them. Patrick, I don't think, thinks that way either. Of the guys who are up there, I don't think Patrick Reed or Brooks are the sort of guy who'd care about that sort of thing. They're just trying to win the golf tournament they're playing in. And Phil traditionally was that guy too, but I think, I don't know, he looked a little bit that way maybe. We'll get to Phil in a minute, but I, I will say this. You know, three live guys uh, basically in the top four plus ties, and maybe we can retire what I have felt all along was kind of a silly talking point that going to live was they they were suddenly going to become bad golfers. They weren't going to care. Their skills were going to deteriorate because there wasn't any tournament pressure, or any meaning. I mean, in every professional sport, except for golf, basically, the athletes have guaranteed money and the best players have the most money, whether it's Steph Curry or LeBron or Mike Trout or Tom Brady, go on down the list. But those guys continually push themselves to get better and, and their life is organized around winning. Like the money doesn't corrupt them. And so to think that all of a sudden everyone who went to live is going to stop caring because they have some guaranteed money. I always thought that was ridiculous. And the fact that so many live guys played really well this week, including Neiman, who was up there for a while and uh, he fell back slightly, but maybe, maybe the fact that Brooks didn't win will still give people some ammo. Like, Oh, he ran out of gas because he's only used to playing three rounds instead of four. But, um, I think it was a statement. Yeah, but you lose that argument because Phil shot 65 in the last round. So you exactly, exactly. And Reed played great today as well. So I just think this was an important um, development, so we can take we can we can speak about this stuff a little more seriously. And 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 you know, it's been an open question. Like, what does it mean to win a live golf tournament? You know, Brooks prepared for this event by winning two of them, and that's what sort of catapulted him into Augusta with this momentum. So, um, you know. How we assess live going forward maybe can be done with a little more sobriety and, and just a little less smirk because clearly these guys can still play and they're, they're still dangerous. Well said, Alan. But I would still say that for for the casual fan that's just turning in, tuning into the Masters and doesn't watch a lot of other golf, they would never watch it on this level. But for the three of us and many of our listeners, you can't help but think I couldn't of live versus the PJ Tour when you're watching that leaderboard uh, un- unfold. And knowing especially uh, what it would mean to film, it just sort of adds another level of complexity 
we saw it. We saw it at the British Open last year at the Old Course. Uh, Cam Smith and uh, well, excuse me, no, I misspoke because we did not know Cam Smith. This is really the first time we would have really seen it in a major. A level of complexity of my tour versus your tour. Just think it adds a little bit of combativeness to the tournament. I think it's it's a fascinating subplot in all of this, and I'm not diminishing that. I'm just talking about the, the idea that. These live guys are not going to be forces in the game. I mean, a healthy Brooks Kepka is still obviously dangerous. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. It was a, it was a, it was a great subplot and added a lot of juice to this whole thing. And if one of the live guys had been able to, you know, if Brooks had pulled through, uh, it, w- it would have turned up the volume on all of this. It would have been fantastic. So, uh, uh, of course, I was rooting for that to happen just because uh, I always root for chaos. But um, and it, that it, that would have ensued. But all right, let's talk about Phil because, as you said, Jeff, he, he shot 65. It was a lights-out round. He had his old jauntiness, his old, his old swagger. Um, Jeff, what did you see from Phil's round today that, that makes you think that maybe he's, he's going to remain a factor in these, in these big tournaments? Well, I, did, I didn't show that much, I mean, because I was watching the broadcast. I mean, we saw the last, what, four holes probably. Once they both sort of got on there in the last four – I mean, four holes maybe. Um, those last two holes – were pretty impressive. I mean, if I've learned anything about Phil, one, he's an unbelievable iron player. Um, and those two iron shots on the last two holes were pretty stellar shots. Um, but he is the most, he has some of the most highest level of self-belief in that situation of anyone you've ever met. And he is the most incredible competitor. He just doesn't like losing. Um, and he has that, that sort of, uh, attitude of conviction he just knows he's making the right decision you know and whether it is or not he knows he's doing the right thing and that's kind of how you have to beat augusta and it's sort of it's why uh it's partly why like patrick reed um phil freddie always plays well there there's there's that type of golfer and mentality that's just always going to work at the masters and phil just epitomized that today i mean he just loves that environment and he loves that golf course um, but he looked anything but 52 coming out of those last two holes. I mean, that was, that was actually, that's almost better than he would have ever finished a major. Like, I mean, he never looked, that looked really impressive what he did those last few holes. So, um, never, never not surprised by Phil, you know? Mike, how much fun is it to have Phil Mickelson on the leaderboard again? Well, it's, it's amazing and it shows you the, the powers of drive, among other things, because he has a lot to prove. And Alan, you and I have talked about this uh, a little bit, and anybody who follows golf knows this to be true. Phil is absolutely world-class at two things, playing golf and talking about golf. And talking about golf kind of got taken away from him because, because he went down this live uh, road and got himself in trouble. So that kind of left playing golf, and he hadn't been playing golf well. Now, he played golf well again, and that allows him to talk about golf again in a public forum. We just saw him doing it with his high flyers hat on indoors at Augusta National, which you almost never see. Um, so I think there's a, so much going on here with Phil, but one of the things that's going on is the will, the will of the man to stay relevant. And uh, uh, I think Nicholas had it. Uh, he was pissed off, annoyed at age 46 when people were writing him off. Fred is Fred, you know. Uh, uh, but it's astonishing to just, you know, if, if you have physical gifts like Phil has, and then you have a mind that is so driven to do one narrow thing at an expert level, 
it's just amazing what a person can achieve. You know, whether you like Phil or don't like Phil, I don't know how you could possibly say that that is not true. And then just one other quick note about about Phil is that I think because he's left-handed, there's never really been enough respect for the quality of his golf swing. But anybody who can't really see it lefty as a right-handed person for whatever reason, just watch it in the mirror. You're seeing one of the great swings, in my opinion. Jeff could tell us much more about it on a technical level than I ever could. One of the great swings of all time for rhythm, for it's almost Seve-like in how it builds strength through a long, powerful swing with a big, high finish. And at 52, he basically swings better than he did at 32. So it's textbook, really. We have Jeff, is that... Off, on, close, you tell me. I mean, it's he has an outrageous talent level. Um, I think his swing has come in and out of um, – he's had to work for it a lot. There's, there was periods in the middle of his career he had to work to try to strike the ball, hit the ball straight, you know, but he's so gifted and he's got – he's much bigger than most people think. I mean, when you get up near, he's got very big, strong arms. Remember when he was trying to – he was warming up his pitching arm in the – parking lot there for a while there on tour trying I mean he was throwing it like 90 miles an hour in the parking lot um he's a strong guy and he's so talented and like you said I think it's the drive it's just that will to he's just competing he's like a he's like a dog chasing a ball you know he just he's only got eyes for what he's gonna do you know and he has such belief in what he's doing um but yeah that is surrounded you're right if you do he is we all look at left-handed swings and we just think oh I can't I don't know really what I'm looking at so we don't really try to even sort of judge it but it's a when you play with him especially as i said his iron play that sort of between 130 and 200 he's just unbelievable the amount of shots when you're just being loose and you're playing not on tour that he nearly holds from 180 yards is incredible um i mean i've seen a lot of those sort of shots that he hit on 17 i mean and he'll call it he's so sort of cocky when he's out there playing that he's as soon as he makes contact he's calling the ball to go close to the hole or he's calling it in or hey god you, did you see that i lost it in the sun you know and it goes right next to the hole um he's fantastic to play with like that um but the amount of shot iron shots he hits close to the hole is incredible and his short game's clearly what it is um i think the driver and the putter the two ends of the bag have been the bits that have come and gone but i think that middle area of the bag he's always just been incredible this is kind of nutty to say, but when you think about a U.S. Open at L.A., there are some U.S. Open courses that would not be suited to Phil Mickelson. But that L.A. Country Club course, I think it's very similar in ways to Augusta National. And we, this might not be the last time we hear from Phil, uh, Phil this year. I mean, last year they took, in my opinion, from what I've heard, they took the Masters away from him. Phil's handlers took his U.S. Open press conference away from him, something that he would normally enjoy. He obviously didn't. And this year to see Phil both on the golf course and in, in the press tent being Phil, it's sort of like welcome back to golf, Phil. He was very emotional in his, um, you know, he's, he they brought him into the big room, as you said, but he did a flash interview kind of right off the golf course, right out of the scoring area. And there was some emotion in his voice and his eyes looked a little watery. I mean, I think, you know, Phil's been through a lot. We know that in the last year plus and, I think he feels like he's Phil Mickelson again. You could even see it earlier in the week. He, obviously, Augusta lights him up. Um, you know, Amy Mickelson is here, his wife, and I—I I don't think she's been in a tournament since the 2021 U.S. Open. She she had just sort of stepped back from a, a lot of the uh, the energy around Phil and the controversy. And he clearly, you know, they were holding hands. I, I caught this little very intimate moment upstairs in the clubhouse. I just wanted to 
It's neat to go up there on that balcony and watch the last the players come up the last hole. And they were sitting at this table right outside the champion's locker room, holding hands and their their faces were maybe a foot apart from each other, talking and whispering and giggling. And they did look like college sweethearts. And I think, you know, there's been, Phil's missed that. He's been on the road by himself a lot. And I, I think being in Augusta, having Amy's support, just the whole energy of, of uh, the crowd and, I think it was it was a little muted. You know, I watched I watched Phil on Thursday a little bit, and I, I think people were not sure: do we cheer for him? Do we not? You know, he missed last year. There's all this this, this stuff. But as the week went on, I think the cheers got louder, and today they were quite lusty. And I think people just are happy to have Phil back between the ropes. And I think this week meant more to him than we could possibly know, and it was just reflected a little bit in, in those remarks after. It wasn't even what he said; it was, it was how he was. He was. You could see he was fighting back the emotion. So that was. That was cool. I mean, golf is a lot more fun, a lot more interesting when Phil Mickelson is on the leaderboard. Whether you love him or hate him, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Jeff, have uh, if you don't mind, Alan, I'll ask Jeff a question about John. Um, uh, do you see John Rahm uh, in Greater Phoenix? Have you have you played casual golf with him, and what might you know about him that the public doesn't? Oh, I think no, not that much. I mean, he lives. I look. I haven't been here for the sort of for a while. Um, so I haven't been around that much. I mean, I've seen him a little bit. Um, he's a member at Westbrook, but he tends to practice at Silverleaf mostly because he lives there. Um, and he can drive his own car to the golf course and stuff. So I don't go there as much. So I mean, I don't see him a little much, but I've said played with him a little bit here. I mean, he's, um, like all of these guys, I mean, like everyone on tour, if you go, when you go see him play at home, everyone gets a little bit better because they're looser. You know, um, and the level is quite high amongst tour players when they get home. And when it's guys like John Rahm, it's incredible the stuff that they do when they're showing off. Um, hard worker, wants it, passionate. He's uh, he's everything you see. He, I don't think John Rahm hides very much from anybody. I think if you watch enough golf on TV, um, you've got a pretty good sense of who John Rahm is. I finally have the definitive answer, by the way, to a question in which I know we get a lot. If someone is new to the game, men, women, or children, and they want to look into buying a set of clubs, the answer now is Robin Golf. Robingolf.com. These people, it's a family-owned business. They make these really sleek, cool-looking sets of clubs for, for kids and beginners, men and women, uh, this is a bit of a gateway solution from like no, you know, clubs to an actual set of clubs before you maybe get fit for a set of clubs. Go now to robingolf.com. We got Mother's Day coming up. We got Father's Day coming up. Kids are getting out of school soon. Fire Pit 15 gets you 15% off promo code Fire Pit 15. Robin Golf guys, excited to have them be a part of uh, what we're doing. And um, their sets are on the way for my. Uh, son and daughter and wife, and I uh, look forward to uh, breaking them in. So it's funny that it's uh, we've gone this deep in this podcast. We haven't mentioned Tiger Woods. I mean, he withdrew Sunday morning, which wasn't a shock. I mean, everyone could see how much he was struggling on the golf course in the cold, wet conditions uh, Saturday afternoon. And, uh, you know, he cited the, the plantar fasciitis, which would make sense because his limp was so pronounced late in the day. I mean, more than we've seen, it, it looked not so much like fatigue, like actual pain. And of course, if you've had plantar, which I have, it does feel like it can stab in the bottom of your foot. So maybe that's the good news that that, that is, that can go away. Um, it's, it's not a debilitating thing, but bigger picture, um, 
you know, seeing Tiger struggled, he was basically dead last when he withdrew and, and seeing the physical toil and, and just how much it takes out of him. I mean, are we going to look back on this is the week when Tiger kind of realized that maybe it's just not worth it, you know, uh, and he accepts that it, to put himself through this much pain and this, this much strife to have to scratch and claw and even make the cut and not be a factor on the leaderboard. I mean, is this the beginning of the end of Tiger as far as showing up these majors and trying to compete? Uh, we don't know how. I don't. We can't. I don't know how bad his leg actually is. It doesn't look like it's going to improve. I mean, I don't know. Like when to get older. I mean, I'm rambling. All I know is me. If I, I'm healthy and I don't have any soreness, but if I walk 72 hours at Augusta, everybody's a little bit sore at the end. I mean, it's a tough walk. Um, it was wet, so there'd be some slippery up and down hills where you'd have to be careful and. Um, it's a long way to walk. I mean, at forty-seven, I mean, I'm forty-five. He's forty-seven. So I mean, it's a long way around there. Uh, for 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 healthy. So I mean, if he's got all this stuff sort of holding his right leg together, and it's not a surprise that he gets sore. I mean, hope, who knows? I mean, hope maybe it improves. Maybe it's on the way. He certainly. It's not going to be so through lack of effort. And I think he's going to try to play golf until he just can't. Um. Because he loves it so much, and he loves that situation, so I don't think it's—I don't think it's done. But it might be coming less and less every year. I mean, maybe there's only one or two every year, but hopefully he keeps coming back. The two of the wisest things, insights into Tiger I've ever heard, both came from Nicholas, and I—I I fully believe both. You know, one was when he ran over the hydrant, and everyone was exploring Tiger's private life, and Nicholas had the common decency to say it's his private life it's none of our business i happen to agree with that the other thing nicholas has said forever about tiger is never underestimate this tiger woods and i have found in my own life trying to write about tiger woods since he's a teenager that every time i do underestimate him not that he's trying to prove me wrong but he does prove me wrong i would say right now the way he looks the way he's looked the last few times out forget about him contending in a tournament it is almost hard to imagine walking 72 holes of any golf course, the first three days of competition, and then whatever he would do, you know, in, um, in, in the practice rounds. But having said that, like Big Jack says, you can never underestimate the Tiger Woods. And as we've seen with Phil, you can never underestimate the role of will in a person's life. Um, and we've, we saw, we just had an illustration, actual, and that's part of the beauty of, of the game. We saw an actual illustration of the application of will in what Phil did, but Tiger is at a completely different level. So you can't say no, even though it looks like no. Yeah, but the difference is Phil's never had any injuries. I mean, he still has that long flowing swing. He's still limber and supple. He's probably in the best shape of his life, even go back to college, you know? He, and, you know, Tiger's got the fused spine. Of course, we know all the litany of, of injuries and, the back surgeries and the metal in his leg. With Tiger, I don't, I don't think it's about will. I don't think he can go in the gym and make his his foot and his leg that much stronger. He, he can't give himself more movement in, in his spine. Like those those things are, those things are fixed. They're, they can only probably get worse and not better. And so the the question becomes, if you know, if for Tiger and Freddie Couples said, I come here to compete against myself. I know I can't beat the best players. I come to com compete against myself and try and make the cut. And if I do, that's my victory. I think that's cool. That's great for Freddie. And it's a thrill to see him out there. Everyone loves to watch him play golf. W would Tiger be able to accept that? You know, he's always defined things so differently. And if he can't, if he can't win 
you know, second place sucks. All, all, you know, it, it was a zero sum game for Tiger. Either you win or you fail. And so I guess that's really the question. Will he keep, will he keep wanting to go through this if, if victory is realistically not an option? And only Tiger knows that. But uh, I'm kind of dubious. I mean, I, I just I don't think he wants to be in a ceremonial role. And I don't think he wants to drag it out for years trying to figure that out. If you know, I think maybe he'll... LA, LA Country Club is those are the grasses he grew up on. He's a Southern California guy. It's not a traditional tight penal U.S. Open course. It's going to be much more about short game and imagination. And I think it's a great canvas for him. And um, if he goes there and and he struggles, I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure how much more Tiger's going to want to put himself through that. But uh, maybe I'm just a pessimist. I don't know. I don't know if he'd be able to not play. I mean, it would take a lot. He'd have to be a long way away from he'd have to be playing really really poorly to not want to play you know i think he'd always try because that's i mean that's he's been always trying that's all that's that's his mo right he just tries really really hard and the probably the frustrating thing for him with his injuries it seems is that the golf is fine you know it's the getting between shot to shot for four days that's the harder part he seems he hits the ball great he's in the past most of the guys he said he looks like the old school Tiger Woods. I mean, he looks great over a putter. And you know, if he could get himself in the mix, it would be the golf wouldn't be the problem. Um, I can't imagine him stopping trying, you know, um, while he's still playing well at home. But again, I don't know how he feels. It does look, it's hard to watch. It's like, why don't you just, just go rest? You know, it just looks painful. Um, but it's what he's done his whole life. I mean, I mean, Jack obviously didn't love like sort of, not being able to win towards the end there, but he kept playing. He loved it again. And you, you, I assume just like Freddie, you come along with your own little goals, you know, each week and can Tiger get to that point and still be healthy? I don't know. I think it's his game looks like it'll be good for us. His game looks like it'll be great for 10 more years. It's just whether he can walk, you know, um, 72 holes. So I don't, I can't speculate what he thinks, but I think he's going to, while he still hits the ball great and he thinks his game is good enough, I think he'd always want to try to win. Jeff, you've traveled. You, you've traveled the world as a golfer. Um, you come from a relatively small country that has produced so many great golfers. How do you explain the fact that a country with a relatively small golf population like Spain has produced now what one, two, three, four Masters winners? I mean, I can't really without saying that Seve must have been that inspirational. You know, um, Seve was a once in a lifetime sort of talent, the way he played golf and what how he sort of inspired people. I mean, he inspired a whole tour to win the, the Ryder Cup a bunch of times. You know what I mean? You, you can draw a direct line to Seve coming into the team, to Europe starting to win. Um, and they mention him to the to the day at Ryder Cups. They all walk out and say, oh, well, Seve started all this. And I mean, like, so to have that effect on his country in the Masters couldn't be understated, I don't think. I think that was pretty important. And him and Jose, it's been this this timeline for them where that the mentorship with the Spanish seems to be really strong. You know, I mean, Sevi was there and then he took Jose under his wing and then they both they all took Sergio under their wing and then they're all it's a very sort of close knit sort of community, the golf community in Spain, you know. Um and they that and they play with a lot of flair. I mean they seem to have a game that's built for a place that sort of allows room for expression, if you like, you know. Um, 
never had to be the straightest hitter, but it helped to be long. And most of them seem to be long and they all move the ball both ways. They always move the ball both ways and they all have great short games and they all have sort of that mat- matador sort of like stand up to the big, big moment, sort of the flair for the dramatic and the big moment, you know. It just seems to be cultures have personalities in their golf games, you know, and it seems like the personality that comes out of the Spanish golf game seems really, really well suited for the sort of the stage and the drama of the Masters really. Um, but without Seve, I'm not sure you would have seen this many because he was that – you just wanted to be him, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, even – and and Seve is such a fluke because I went to Padrinia, this little village that he's from. There was no golfing tradition there whatsoever. And then uh, – but across the bay is this lovely uh, city called Santander and – I can't remember which king it was, but one of the kings in like maybe the 1920s decided that he was going to start um, going up to Santander as a getaway, as a vacation, and he wanted a golf course built. And so they sent people out to find some land that was suitable. And the rolling farmland of Padrino was was deemed perfect. So they bought up all the farms and they built Royal Padrino, and that became the king's hangout. And that was the little house, this little stone house that Sevi grew up on was just on this hill looking over the golf course. It was an absolute fluke. I mean, he slept... In this room above the horses, you know, they were they were just kind of subsistence farmers, and um, and all of a sudden this great golf course was there, and so that's where Sevi started caddying, and his uncle um, turned uh, Manuel was was a really good golfer, actually finished I think fourth in the in the Masters way back when, and so it just got kind of handed down, and it's funny to think if the king had chosen a different vacation home. Never heard of Sebi Ballesteros. Then maybe you know Jose Mario Othabel, how that would affect Sergio and, and John Rahm. I mean, a uh, hundred years ago, uh, kind of a, uh, a a random happenstance helped get John Rahm this green jacket. And it's, it's amazing how the world works. So uh, I think broadly, the, the, the Basque athletes have always been famous for for flair and doing things, no matter whether they're playing football or, or cycling or golf or tennis. They play conduct themselves with flair. And Alan, you and I have made this observation. Uh, Augusta National is is a kind of cozy club in its own way. It's not nearly as cozy now as it used to be. But we've seen many times Seve, uh, of course, when he was still in good health and a lot of the ball, to a lesser degree, uh, uh, Sergio, and I will see with um, uh, with John Rom, John Rom Rodriguez, uh, but they really enjoy the club. You know, we see him drinking red wine, uh, or their families, maybe more accurately. The agents are part of it. Uh, the wives and the parents are part of it. And, um, they sort of take, I mean, they've kind of almost take over the club in ways. Uh, they're very relaxed and very at home. And, um, I don't know if that has anything to do with their success here, but, Augusta National can be a really uptight environment for a lot of people. Uh, but thinking about, about the times I was lucky enough to see Seve and Alothable here, they didn't seem uptight at all. They seemed like, this is our club for the week. We enjoy. And it was great. Yeah, no, that's a real thing. I mean, like what Lee Trevino would, would change his shoes in the parking lot because he didn't want to go into the clubhouse. He didn't feel welcome there. He didn't like the energy. And for a guy of that talent level to never win the Masters, I mean, I think that that's part of it. And you know, Tiger came here and he had that chip on his shoulder and, you know, that he was that he turned pro on that ad campaign about there's there's places I can't play because of the color of my skin and, you know, that fueled him. And so the energy around Augusta National definitely can affect different players in, in different ways. And um, I, I think Rom is going to be a great champ. There, to me, there's something there's something just kind of regal about him. He just can, carries himself with such class. 
he, he, Mike, you and I have talked about, he's, he has a beautiful command of the English language for a non-native speaker. He's so eloquent and he seems to always say the right thing and be on the right side of every issue. And uh, he will, he will wear, he will look good in green. And I, I think he'll, he'll, he'll wear that jacket in, in, in a really cool, special way. So it was, it was, a, it was a wonky week with weather delays and, and master Saturday was, 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 was a total washout. Only a few shots got shown on TV and not a lot of holes got played. And, um, but I, I think this was a Sunday to remember. And I, I think the right guy won. So, um, before, before we release our listeners in any final thoughts on, on a pretty memorable masters. As I said, I, th- I thought it was fun to watch. And like you said, I mean, I was there until yesterday. If you'd been there most of the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you would never have imagined that it would finish with the sun setting on at the right time and two balls on the 18th grade. There's just no chance that was ever happening all week. And all the, and, and again, um, 99% of the time, the Masters finishes the right way, you know. Um, and it's an incredible achievement from the oper- – it's, it's, every time I go there, it blows me away at how impressive an operation it is. And it's the most impeccably run event in the world, surely. I don't think anything could be run any better than that. And it's, they deserve all the sort of credit they get because it's an amazing thing. And John Rahm, um, I don't think we've seen him not winning majors. And I think Brooks Kepka, I think, is back. He looked, he looked like the old school Brooks Kepka for about five or six holes, really. Um, and he looked at when he finished, which I think was nice. You know, he finished pretty strong. He looked a really good player in the last few holes. And I think Jordan Spieth's going to win more magic, more Masters because he just looks so good around there. And um, it was fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Jordan Spieth. Let's just, I mean, just very quickly, like, the, this was the full Spieth experience. And if you're watching on, on Thursday, you know, he's he's in the pine straw on 13. He's pretty far from the green. He he. You would think it's an automatic layup. It's the first round of the Masters. You don't have to be a hero. He goes for the green. He knocks it in the water. He just hit it in the water on 11. And it's like face palm because sometimes he just does the most inexplicable things. But then when he gets going like, like he did today, um, there's no one who's more fun to watch. So I- but if you, look, if you look, though, that's why he's good at the Masters. I mean, if you think about the people who are always good there, they're the ones who do that. Phil has never not taken a shot on. Tiger took every shot on. Seve took every shot on. I mean, they're the guys who win there, you know, and he plays like that. You know, he plays to win the tournament, and that's the only way you can win the tournament is if you play to win it, you know, and he plays to win it. It's fun to watch. Oh, I agree. It's fun. I, yeah, for sure on, you know, Saturday or Sunday, if, if you think that's what you need to do. But I just think, man, Thursday, even if it's an incredible shot from there, it's probably going to be a long Eagle putt. He's going to be putting for four. If he lays up, he's going to be putting for four. Like sometimes I wish he would just play the percentages, but I guess you're right, Jeff. I mean, that, that is who he is and that's what's made him great. So yeah, yeah. Have it was fun to have some, some old school speed racing up the leaderboard as well. Michael, uh, any, any final thoughts? When I watch him, he always looks like he might be shooting 41 and then you look at the card and it's 33 and it's like, how did he actually do that? Um, uh, but then just one quick note about Rom. I, Alan, tell me if this is not correct, but I think he and Phil share the same agent or manager at Steve Bloy. Is that correct still? Yeah, yes. So, and and he's been a voice for moderation about Liv, uh, that the Liv players should get world ranking points. I think all three of us uh, agree with that. And uh, now he's got, he's always had a platform in the game. Now he has even more of one. Um, and it's not good for golfers to be, there's enough real war. It's not good for golfers to be at war with each other. So maybe with his win and with the prominence that it brings, uh, maybe he can be even more of a voice of reason 
and be some sort of mediator. Yeah, that's well said. I saw a tweet, which I haven't had a chance to really dig into, but that, you know, Brooks Kepa will get his full Ryder Cup points um, from the, in, uh, that was from the PGA of America spokesman in, in their standings. And, you know, it's a Ryder Cup year. Uh, it's hard. He will get his full points? Yes. In, in the way that the PGA of America calculates it, he will. Now, the question is, do you have to be, as as the PGA has said, you have to be a member of the PGA of America to play on the Ryder Cup team. And if you're a member of the PGA Tour, you automatically become a member of the PGA of America. That's how you get onto the team. Now, of course, there's many other ways that you could grant somebody uh, membership. But, you know, all of a sudden, you, when you're thinking about this Ryder Cup team, you figured out Dustin's not in it, Brooks is not in it, Phil's not in it. But uh, if, if, as you say, Michael, there's just this larger reapproachment and some of these things get finessed somehow, uh, you know, they, all of a sudden, you, those are those are three heavyweight personalities and players who might somehow be in the mix where they weren't a week ago. So it's um, we'll we'll have to investigate a little further how the PGA is going to handle all this because it's now the points start getting real when you get to the major championship season. So as always, there are a million subplots in professional golf right now. But um, the big story today: John Rahm, incredible victory, um, commanding victory, really one by four shots and. Some ways it felt like more than that. He was in total control of this tournament pretty much all, all of Sunday. So uh, all credit to the new Masters champion. Uh, Jeff, it's great seeing you under the tree here at Augusta. I'm glad we got to podcast again. Uh, Michael, as always, it's a pleasure. We will keep doing these fire drills. Uh, thanks for listening. And now it's on to the uh, PGA Championship. That flipped the calendar pretty quick. We get, we get another major here in a few weeks. So uh, that's it for this podcast. We'll be back at it again soon. Thanks. That's the end. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall. Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball. And now I can't shake this losing streak. Every road I take is a dead end street. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber. Not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.